3: Uh-huh. Ah, sí. Son más grandes.
2: Welcome back to Point of Origin. This week we're discussing a well-known fruit that in the last couple decades has boomed in popularity and demand, in part due to its association as a healthy food. It's the Haas avocado, also known as green gold. And the man you just heard is Saul Anzures Mendoza, a Haas avocado farmer in the central Mexican state of Morelos. Mendoza's story and the story of many Mexican avocado farmers like him comes to us from Whetstone Magazine's six contributor and journalist Megan Fry. Megan, in addition to her work as a journalist, is also a photographer and translator, spent time in Morelos learning about and from the farming community there, discovering what makes the Haas avocado so desirable, both for consumers and producers. She also tells us about the Haas' darker underbelly, its ties to drug cartels, and the environmental havoc it's wreaking on indigenous lands. Megan, can you take us to Morelos and give us a bit of history about the variety of avocado and also why it's so prevalent here in the States?
3: Sure. Yeah. Um, It was actually first cultivated in California, just outside of Los Angeles by a gentleman named Rudolph Haas in 1926. He was growing, experimenting with growing avocado trees um, and his property, and he made a, a blend a mix between a Mexican variety and a Guatemalan variety and it ended up having a lot of really great qualities which is why we see so many of them today. The patent was put on it in 1935 and it started to become you know widely cultivated back in the 1960s So the Haas avocado, is the most widely and, um, in terms of numbers as well, um, cultivated variety of avocado in the world. Um, it got, it's grown everywhere now, from Mexico to Peru to Indonesia, and um, basically, what makes the Haas avocado so attractive is the fact that it can be plucked from a tree, in when it's not ripe yet. And it will ripen, but over the course of three weeks to a month. So it has quite a long period that it can be sitting in a truck or sitting on a boat. Um, I say boat because Japan is a major um, importer of avocados as well um, from Mexico. And so it has that quality where other more endemic and not genetically modified in any any way, not messed with in any way. Avocados um, don't have that quality of having such a thick skin. Um, you know, they could maybe be plucked from a tree and you've got three to five days, maybe a week, um, that until you have to eat it or else it goes to waste. The other issue as well is um, that some of them have such a thin skin um, especially what they call uh, the um, the criollo or the creole-mixed um, avocado um, that they actually eat the skin. It's so thin.
2: The other varieties, while tastier, have thinner skin and therefore less shelf life. Given their reduced monetary value, most varieties of avocados are going uncultivated and largely ignored. And so this sounds basically like many monocropped plants here in the U.S., like the Cavendish banana or like the, you know, red delicious apple. We see that these varieties are developed primarily for their ability to last a long time on the shelves uh, or in Mm -hmm. this case um, off the vine. So it sounds like that's kind of the, the same history with the Haas avocado, right?
3: Yes, absolutely. That is what makes it so attractive because there are dozens of varieties of avocado. And there are some that are crossbred that are being sold today as well. But um, there's a lot of varieties in them, especially the like central Mexico into southeastern Mexico that are tastier than than the Haas avocado. They have a more creamy texture and they are widely used in different aspects of the cuisine. But as far as, you know, getting an avocado from, you know, central Mexico up to Canada, the Haas is the one that will make the trip.
2: In Mexico, the point of origin of the avocado and the place from where more than 80% of those sold in the United States emanate, there are 20 varieties of avocados. But in supermarkets throughout the US, we only see one type, the Haas variety. Haas avocados are prized for their durability and because they mature off the vine, meaning that you can pick a Haas avocado in Mexico and eat it a month later in Canada. So subsequently, um, because of all of the desirable characteristics in the marketplace for this avocado, your story leads us into kind of a darker underbelly around this industry um, because of all of the money that's involved. So can you uh, help us understand what some of the dynamics are behind the scenes?
3: First, I'd like to say that about 80% of Mexico's avocados that they export go to the United States. And that number, the number in terms of the amount of money that that export was worth in 2017 was about 3 billion dollars. So we're talking about quite a lot of money for a particular crop. So what we've seen in in places in Mexico the state that produces the largest quantity of avocados and specifically Haas variety avocados. We have seen that just as as if it were any other cash crop, it tends to attract the attention of people who, you know, are corrupt or have nefarious, you know, activities going on.
0: Let's hit it. Give me a vacation. Vacation. Give me a wave. Surfing. Give me a city tour. The trolley. Give me animals. The zoo. Give me some sea life. <laughs> Give me museums. Feltola Park. Give me a woo. What's that spell? San Diego!
1: If you're happy and you know it, San Diego is the place to show it. Book your family vacation at san Diego.org. Funded in part with the City of San Diego Tourism Marketing District Assessment Funds.
4: Right here, right now. Find your beautiful new floor at Right Rug Flooring. Choose from thousands of in-stock styles, ready for next-day installation, and all backed by the right price guarantee.
3: There, there have been a lot of reports, and The Guardian did a really good report on this a couple years ago, about um, the green gold, is what they call the avocado, el um, el oro verde, and they call it that in Michoacan because it's worth so much money that it has attracted the criminal element into its production, and there have been cases of extortion of farms um of kidnappings and even murder um in order for people to gain control and power of those farms there's also been a lot of deforestation um all in a lot of different parts of mexico in order to um, to plant avocado trees specifically Hass avocado trees because they have so much more value at least to the people who's interested is is in that monetary value than the pine trees or other um, species of flora that may inhabit those mountains, the mountainous regions where they grow so well. Getting into the darker side of the avocado trade and um, the government, the Mexican government has had a role in that in that they support you know, this monoculture of the haas avocado by coming to places such as they did in, in Morelos and Michoacan. Um, again, the Hass avocado was, you know, was created in California, but coming and saying, okay, this is going to be your crop. And one could argue that that has good intentions behind it. I mean, these are, you know, people who are living in the countryside who are often quite removed from different types of services, education, um, different types of jobs, you know. So this is certainly, you, you know, in in regions such as Morelos, where they've been growing figs and peaches and other crops, mat, uh, apples, for example. Um, the avocado, specifically the Haas avocado, does, you know, net them a lot more money than they would um, working their land and selling peaches in the local market
2: this green gold rush Mm -hmm. feels like something that's a lot more contemporary was there a tipping point in which maybe uh in consumer behavior or the export market or pricing that that really changed things with the haas avocado
3: i've been told by professor at unam down in Mexico City that NAFTA had a lot to do with it. Mm-hmm. Um, that opening of, you know, the borders in the sense of for trade. So we're talking about the mid 90s, yeah, so there's the opening of the door, we'll say with NAFTA. and and then there's this consumer, you know supply and demand. Obviously, there's, there's a lot of people who are traditionally, you know, maybe people who have Mexican heritage, who are accustomed to avocados, you know, being part of their, their traditional foods. So they started to be, you know, more available in, in different parts of the United States and then throughout the world. So um, you go to Japan today and you find avocado in the maki rolls, and that was not always the case. So we're talking mostly about the avocado fever, as they call it in Morelos, starting around 2003. And that's when the government came and said, "Okay, this is what you're going to be growing. And we're willing to buy back some of the land that was granted to indigenous communities following the Mexican Revolution and its subsequent agrarian reform so that now we're talking about the 20s and the 30s but specifically the 1930s and so there's actually a process of buying back of that land of the communal land
2: when the trade agreement between mexico the u.s and canada opened a heightened demand for the haas avocado ensued the Mexican government began encroaching into the agricultural sector and making deals with farmers that granted them fixed rates in exchange for planting avocados. Slowly, more farmers began converting into avocado farms.
3: It is really interesting that the patent came around the same time as the Mexican Congress passed the bills to... Be able to buy back some of that land. So, yeah, we're talking about the the Mexican Revolution, um, which lasts approximately ten years, 1910-1920. Um, a big focus of that was um, peasant rights. People had been working on major haciendas, major estates and plantations that were primarily owned by whether you whether they were colonizers originally or families of colonizers or settlers. So. The idea was to give the land back to the people, and that did happen. But Mexico is, um, like we all, like most of us are, a, a capitalist society. So, the money spoke a little bit more than the land in in certain places. So, for them, it has allowed them to have a lot more finances. And some of them don't. I mean, there are these communal lands. And then there's people who have property right behind their houses and they, you know, have their avocados there. They consider themselves avocado farmers, whether they, you know, whatever is going to sell and whatever they can use, that is what they will cultivate. They learn quite quickly how to work with it. And actually, I was told by some people in Huejo that in other communities, like the community leaders have sent some of the farmers to to study avocado, um, how to mix essentially, how to make a hybrid avocado, and and they're working on that to, you know, create different varieties um, like such as the Mendez and the Jimenez. So, it's, it's work. These people are working.
2: Mm-hmm. And would the development of these other crossbreeds of avocado be done as a way to? Compete with the Haas
3: So Haas avocados They can pollinate Themselves but It works much better And creates a much stronger crop If they are cross pollinated With other varieties Of avocados So the idea they they You'll find in most places Where they um, have Where it's an, an avocado zone As they would call it They have a lot of Haas avocados because that's what makes money, but they'll also have these different varieties of, of avocados because it makes for a stronger crop. And so I think that the idea behind that of creating these like cross hybrids, you know, in that region is they're looking for something that will be comparable to the Haas avocado, but will also benefit all of the avocado trees just in case there's a plague just in case there's you know different types of fungus Haas avocados are the tree itself is much more susceptible to um plagues and um when i say that i'm speaking mostly of like insects so what they do in a lot of places is actually use the trunk of a different type of endemic avocado which is stronger and more resistant to whatever nature may bring its way, whether it's a drought or um, cold or um, some kind of epidemic. And then they will use that as the root stock to grow a Haas avocado tree out of that.
0: Ready? Okay.
1: Funded in part with the City of San Diego Tourism and Marketing District Assessment Funds.
4: Right here, right now. Find your beautiful new floor at Right Rug Flooring. Choose from thousands of in-stock styles, ready for next day installation, and all backed by the right price guarantee. Visit RightRug.com. That's R-I-T-E-R-U-G.com today to schedule a free in-home estimate or to find a location near you.
2: so i want to ask you about some of the other players uh, behind the scenes in this story Um, Mm -hmm. and one of um, the shadow elements that you alluded to earlier has to do with the narcos so at what point did the the kidnappings and the extortion and the you know claiming of property begin and um who has that conflict been between?
3: Yeah, that that conflict has mostly been um, affecting the state of Michoacán. The state of Michoacán has really just absolutely ideal conditions for avocados. It does not get too cold as it does in certain places more around Mexico City because of elevation. Um, it has really fertile soil. There's a lot of dormant volcanoes there. So the people who have been, you know, who have these territories and, you know, uh, communal land or specifically even communities themselves, along with heroin, which is, you know, a major cash crop um, or poppies, excuse me, you know, um, which become, which are used for heroin, the avocado is also worth a lot of money. So it has affected a lot of people by having organized crime come into their communities and take over their farms, their avocado farms. So they are basically, they're taking the money and the livelihood of the people and kind of forcing, they're kind of keeping them in some ways hostage on their land so that they're working it. But they are there, and they're the ones that are making the profit on it. And they've done so in in violent in violent ways in many cases, um, to the point where there's actually vigilante groups who um, protect their own crops. And they're armed. They're armed vigilantes just trying to make sure that their crops stay in their hands and that they are actually making some money off of it. Really organized crime and cartels and call them narcos because they typically deal with um, you know, illicit substances, they are involved in all kinds of things. Um, they're involved in human trafficking. They're involved in um, anything from even trash removal and pickup. Um, there's a lot of money in trash, so it's the way that, Mexico's setup set up with its corruption, which has been going on for a long time, um, you know, has, has given way for people to operate like this. Going back to the drug war in Mexico, this is like the early 2000s, around the time of the avocado boom, um, the war on drugs in Mexico. And it has caused, in some places, a lot of um, violence and a lot of war, whether it we're dealing with poppies um, or whether we're dealing with avocados. I think most people that you would talk to in Mexico would tell you that whether you're talking about the military or the police or the government and the narcos, they're all the same. And um, a number of presidents have been accused of having ties with cartels. Um, And obviously, they're the ones who are who would be in charge of a war on drugs. The the real battle of Mexico right now is corruption is a major, major concern. And it has touched the avocado in in ways that are quite interesting, whether it's whether it's heroin or whether it's avocados. It's useful. It's brings in a lot of money. And so people want to control it.
2: Yeah, because this is—I mean—in terms of a lot of money, we're talking about a two billion dollar export business just for avocados alone, right?
3: Yeah, and just to the just to the United States. Yeah, just the U.S. Yeah, um, at least two billion.
2: Yeah, and so for these farmers, uh, even though historically avocado has been. A part of their diet, they're presumably not eating these haas avocados because they are so valuable. Because on the one hand, there is this really valuable crop that, that they're growing. But on the other hand, there are all these other factions which are hugely complicating their lives with the government, with the cartels. How are the farmers uh, in places like Michoacan navigating, making a living, and also... Um, all of the things that they're having to struggle against as well.
3: With the farmers that I spoke to, some of them were flat out, no, we don't eat this product because it is so valuable. Why would we eat our most valuable products? And others are a little bit more lax about it and they will eat them. But for them, you know, this is, it's, it really is how they make their money. Um, they don't grow peaches anymore. Um, you know, they they've switched completely. So a day in the life, um, you know, it's interesting because the in in Huichotengo, the farmers that I spoke with and that I spent time with have told me very clearly that their um, quality of life has improved dramatically in the village. And these are, in some cases, these are areas that were impacted by um, the 7.1 magnitude earthquake that hit not far from there in September of 2017 um, that caused a variety of um, disasters. People are actually reconstructing their homes in some of these places. They have hopes that their children will go to college. And these are things that 20 years ago, before, you know, right before the avocado fever hit this particular village, it wasn't really something that people had as um, a realistic expectation. So there's an increase to medical care. There's an increase to being able to somebody, at least that you know, has a car. So that has changed a lot of things, as you can imagine. Um, New roads, paved roads, um, that kind of thing. So uh, as far as the daily life, I mean, right now, there's some people who are repairing their homes and other members of the family are, you know, working with the crops. If it's a good year, there's not a lot that you have to do with the crops at all, mm-hmm. you know, and by good year, I mean, if there's enough rain mm-hmm. and, and that is an, a concern in, in a lot of places in the world. And especially it really is in Mexico and central Mexico. Um, so I think People have a quiet pace of life in 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 these communities. Mm-hmm. Tenías una pelunga.
0: Y antes ni quien lo quería. Antes la gente, na ah, valía cincuenta centavos el kilo de mm. a peso, de Pero, a dos pesos.
3: Y era el mismo aguacate fuerte, el fuerte. Okay. Ajá. In fact, I remember that the Haas also used to be worth the same as the Fuerte, eight pesos when it began, and then they gave it more value when they started exporting it. I remember when we were behind in a lot of ways, but yes, I have seen the improvement. We
0: are but yes, have seen the improvement.
3: Some of these places are quite remote, um, or at least were remote until they started to put in more highways. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and this is something that happened in basically between the 70s um, up until more recently in the early 2000s. You know, these were communities that, um, you know, in order to get something to market, they would have to travel for day, you know, a right. couple of days. Mexico operates an at least 50% informal economy. Mm-hmm. What, what happens a lot is that people will come from different places, so the city of Puebla, the city of Cuernavaca, the city of Mexico City, um, into this, these particular parts of um, Morelos, and I'm sure the same is in Michoacan and, and Guerrero and, and other states that are avocado producers. They come from the city and they offer a price. Right. And um, and then they take that back into to market, and you know I asked about that, and you know they said the farmers, you know, I'm like, do you feel like you're getting a fair shake? And they said that, you know, essentially yes, because they're selling their avocados for more than they were ever worth in the past, and it's three hours to get into Mexico City, mm. you know, from there and that's gas money, you know, and that's time. So they end up selling them, you know, to a third party that comes by and either takes them to um, a uh, an export business, like a packing um, facility, which is nearby actually.
2: You mentioned earlier that some farmers are beginning to crossbreed new varieties, Uh, Is there a desire to want to return to some native varieties of avocado, both for preservation of culture, but also preservation of those varieties? And not least of which, preservation of land and environment, as I know a lot of land is being deforested to to plant avocado trees. So is there a return to or a promotion of indigenous varieties?
3: I think from the farmers themselves, you would get different answers. Definitely, there is respect for the avocados that they have grown up with that their family has, you know, specific recipes for that they know taste better than the Haas does. There's a major concern regarding um, climate change. There were a lot of forest fires in Mexico this year which really impacted the presence of pollinators with the smoke. Mexico City had a, you know, a, a climate or an, a climate emergency because of it. So there's definitely the the desire to keep those avocados because they are beneficial to all crops. I mean, having the biodiversity, having that, having that diversity and not just the monoculture is really beneficial. I, I think probably what you would see, what I see more of um, as Mexico City and, and Oaxaca, another city to mention become more popular with international tourists and as the Mexican middle class and upper class, kind of lower upper class, I should say, kind of expand. There's a desire to get in touch with that. And you'll find, you know, if you go to yeah a, a restaurant in, in Oaxaca or Mexico City that kind of prides itself on being like ancestral cuisine, you're not going to see house avocados, no way. Maybe they're in there somewhere, you know, but they that's not going to be on the menu so there's definitely an interest in the preservation whether that will extend outside of mexico for you know again talking about like transportation you know logistics and that reality behind that that's yet to be seen i think Mm -hmm. but a lot of things that can be grown in mexico can also be grown in parts of the united states um so it would be really interesting you know to see if that if if that interest in um, different types of varieties of avocados extend into the united states it's possible but it's it's not that common you know we have to remember mexico is a very diverse country in terms of rural versus urban and in terms of the different groups of people who live there and and have called it home for millennia The Persea genus has several species. All the species are American, and in fact, fundamentally Mesoamerican.
2: The avocado boom means 11 billion pounds are consumed annually worldwide. The fact that so much money is involved in the exportation of avocados has led to a number of documented perils in Mexican society. Among them, drug traffickers have taken over avocado farms, extorted farmers, kidnapping and in some cases even murdering them. Forests in Mexico have been upended to plant avocado trees and a disproportionately large demand for avocados is creating a climate change effect. Forest lands with diverse wildlife have been destroyed to produce avocados, and many more were intentionally burned to bypass a Mexican law, allowing producers to change the land use permit to commercial agriculture instead of forest land if it were lost to burning. This is all a lot to absorb. I mean, we love avocados, but learning about the history and the contemporary challenges can be a little bit disorienting. Our diets demand, for those who are able, that we make choices that center not only our desires, but also our obligations. Are there avocados near you? Can weekly indulgences become quarterly or even annual ones? Or, for that matter, is a daily indulgence even an indulgence at all? Increasingly, it is evident that our governments cannot be trusted to protect the best interest of anything other than the highest bid. Climate, labor, and kleptocracy are unhappily coexisting. And like many areas of our lives, individuals will have to occupy the space of government. Provenance must be part of our politics, and sometimes, so too, restraint. I'd like to thank our guest today, Megan Fry. Alfredo Gutierrez Martinez, Lev Orlando Hardon Baboya, Saul Anzores Mendoza, and the entire community of farmers in Morelos. You can read Megan Fry's story in Volume 6 of Whetstone or learn more on Instagram at Whetstone Magazine. We'll be back next week. Peace. We'd also like to thank our incredible podcast producer, Celine Glager. Celine, you are the best. To our editor and Whetstone partner and director of video, David Alexander in London. Appreciate you, Dave. Thanks to our Whetstone production intern, Quentin LeBeau. And last but not least, my business partner, Mel She, who makes all things at Whetstone possible. Thank you, Mel. We'd also like to thank our partners in production at iHeartRadio. To Gabrielle Collins, our supervising producer, and executive producer, Christopher Haciotis. We'll be back next week with more from the world of food worldwide. Point of Origin listeners, as you know, rating and reviewing our podcast is the very best way for more people to find out about our very important work at Whetstone. So please, if you're able, we would really appreciate a positive review and rating on Apple Podcasts that will help others, like yourself, find out about Point of Origin.
0: Ready? Okay.